Hello everyone, my name is Graham Waldrop and alongside me as always is Adam Kalal and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports. Insight, analysis, wacky ass hijinks. Adam, how's it going sir? Been better Graham, been better. I was doing great until about what, the fourth inning of the Braves game yesterday? Yeah, you went to the game. Correct? I went to the game, yeah. I was feeling real good. And then, um, yeah, Freddie. Yeah, tragedy struck. Uh, Freddie Freeman is now out for the next eight to ten weeks with a fractured wrist. We just can't have nice things. Like, after I was listening to last week's episode and just noticing how uh, dark and just depressing and clearly unhappy with the state of Atlanta sports and we both are yeah I was starting to feel a little better we had we took what two out of three from Florida yeah won the first two against Toronto ended up winning last night yeah it's like oh maybe talk about how uh, things are looking up a little bit and then we get this news about Freddie and just back down in the dumps yeah yeah it's uh that was certainly rough last night um just get you all caught up in case uh you haven't noticed the Braves are 16 and 21 now, uh, second place in the NL East, and have won five of their last six games, as we mentioned, taking two or three from the Marlins and taking three in a row against Toronto. Starting pitching was a lot better, minus Jaime Garcia, who got really roughed up in Toronto. And uh, yeah, offense is kicking ass, uh, doing really well with runners in scoring position, and as I mentioned, averaging six and a half runs per game during this stretch. So. You thought things were looking up. Yeah. No, so I was starting to feel real good. And like you said, offense is really clicking and kind of carrying the team as they were. Yeah. And the thing I noticed, I noticed, year. yeah, the thing I noticed too was that like there were nice moments where guys were getting big hits, you know, in high leverage situations. Like Matt Kemp the other night against the Blue Jays. I think we were only up by like a run or two. Um, yeah. And he just gets a, you know, has a really nice at bat. There's like, Two guys on, just crushes a double into the, I think it was right center field, scores those guys, and we're, and we're up for good at that yeah, point. Yeah, put it out of reach, so didn't yeah. give the bullpen a chance to blow it. Mm-hmm. Pitching, as mentioned, has been a lot better. Bartolo actually pitched decently, went five minutes his last start, uh, only gave up two earned runs. Despite having the flu. Yeah, and he was sick, so maybe he needs to uh, get sick more often or something because that was the best he's pitched since, uh, I'd say, that um, Easter Sunday game against the San Diego Padres. So uh, he looked better. Julio, arguably his sharpest outing since his second start in Pittsburgh against the Marlins uh, a few games ago. He went six innings, gave up no runs. Fulte's looked really good. Two quality starts, including one last night. Um, yeah, everything's rolling. And then uh, we were reminded that we had the shittiest luck as a sports town. And um, yeah, I mean, really, ever since the Super Bowl loss, things have just been going downhill for us. Oh, absolutely, and, and uh, not just in sports. Like, I mean, we lose the eighty-five bridge. Yeah, but that's back. That is back. It's amazing. No one's happier about that than you. Yeah, it's cut about an hour and a half off my uh, round trip commute, so I'm very pleased. Little sidebar: I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I, I really want somebody to make a documentary about how the bridge affected. Uh, different Atlantans and just like interview guys like you that just got totally screwed by it Mm -hmm. and just like hear the horror stories of how long their commute was and what it turned into and probably be a lot of the same complaints. The type of depression that came on and maybe there's a divorce that came out of all of this. Yeah. I love to see the fallout. There's a lot of backstories. Divorces, suicides, patricides. (laughs) God only knows. 
but we digress. We digress. Anyways, there are there are tons of things happening in last night's game. We've got a ton of news to get to. Our show is primarily going to be focused on the Braves um, and the Falcons. We're not going to have any Hawks talk this week. Thank God. Just because there's nothing going on, and we're sick and tired of talking about uh, you know that sorry episode, that sorry team right now. Um, but yeah, so there were a ton of fireworks last night. Um, after Freddie was was hit and subsequently came out of the game, so Jason Mott comes in. Game's out of reach at this point. Braves tacked on six in the first inning. We're up six nothing. Never really looked, but you know, didn't really look back from there. Um, Jason Mott comes in the game, doing cleanup duty, have a pretty big lead. Uh, he's a very quick delivery, and some would argue it's sort of a, a bitch move in the sense that he comes set very quickly before he delivers, if at all. So the, the batter, you know, has very little time to get ready. But I would also argue if you're in the batter's box, you should be ready. You should be ready. So he's facing Kevin Pillar. Um, wasn't ready for the pitch. It's like a slider. It's outside. It's about like ten feet off the plate. Pillar swings at it anyway. He strikes out. Innings over. Uh, he starts chirping and allegedly calls uh, Mott uh, homophobic slur. You can use your imagination oh, there. I wasn't sure uh, how you were going to handle addressing that. Well, of course. You know. So, very professional. Oh, yeah. Done, Graham. Yep. And uh, Pilar later admitted that he did, that he, uh, did you know, say the homophobic slur. Uh, suspended two games. The bench is cleared in the meantime. There wasn't any fighting, but there was a whole lot of uh, squawking. So, how, 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 were, how was the crowd's reaction? Yeah, so uh, I was, as Graham mentioned, I was at that game last night, which was one of the more exciting Braves games I've been to in a while just because of all this action so like from the stands it all came out of nowhere so like we're, we're just sitting up there like oh strike three innings over mm-hmm. next thing I look on the field and see both bullpens rush and they were kind of half-assing it uh, jogging in yeah. it didn't look like anyone really wanted to fight but uh it was exciting I mean the crowd and everyone's into it as you tend to be I Got fond memories of the time when I was at uh, Turner Field and Andres Galarraga rushed the mound. Oh, yeah, I was at that game too. Yeah, that was great. That was classic. So I mean, that one was really exciting, um, but it kind of just cleared out. And it was funny because I, um, I was there with two of Veronica's coworkers, hmm. and one of them didn't know a ton about baseball. And they were all just kind of talking through it and didn't really like think much of both teams just rushing out onto the field. Mm-hmm. And this was, I think it was the seventh inning. Um, so I'm like talking to the guy next to me, like what the hell happened? Like, yeah. and in my head I was like, well, I mean, they've, I know that the blue Jays have hit us a ton this series. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was just emotions kind of boiling over. Right. The, the, it, dude, the dude next to me had no idea what was going on. Yeah. It was kind of unclear. Even on the TV, I was just sort of saying like, what, what happened? And yeah. then they showed a replay of how quick Mott was and, I sort of I always mute Chip and Joe just because I don't really like the way they cover games. So I wasn't listening yeah. to them either. So I sort of had to, you know, get- probably assume the same thing. But to finish my story, yes, please finish your story. <laughs> so the girl, like after, like I'm, I'm still turning around trying to figure out what 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 happened. And the girl with us, I was like, did I mean, do you guys see what just happened? Like, that's you don't see that every day. And she was like, oh, I thought that was just kind of like. Seventh inning tradition or something. Both teams run out onto the field. Yeah. <laughs> and her fiance was like, what, the seventh inning fight? Yeah, that, <laughs> that happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. So you think, you know, after Freddie's out for the game, you know, we don't know his fate at that point. You think after this bizarre, you know, I've never seen benches clear after, you know, someone strikeout. coming out. After a strikeout, someone yeah. coming set a little fast. So that was. So after that, you think, like, okay, there's not going to be any more fires. This game is over. Um, 
you'd be wrong about that. So a couple of innings later, Braves are up eight to three. Erica Flaherty's uh, pitching. Uh, Bautista destroys a pitch uh, that Flaherty throws to him. It's a homer. He flips as bad as if he just hit a game-winning home run against Clayton Kershaw to win the World Series. Instead, his team is six games under 500, and he's down eight to four to an equally mediocre baseball team. Uh, it was selfish, pedantic, moronic, and he looked incredibly stupid doing it. And um, both Pilar and Bautista admitted that you know they were they admitted fault in what they did. I, I still don't think it excuses it. It's not really the biggest deal to me in the world, but it was just kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, and once again, the bench is cleared. Uh, no fighting, lots of squawking. Yeah, you, you, both times you could tell there wasn't actually going to be a fight breaking out. Yeah, it's like neither of them wanted to, but right felt obligated to. Uh, a Flaherty definitely stirred the pot a little bit, uh, to say the least. After the game, he was interviewed and was just like, you know, he, he thought it was a bush league move by Bautista, and then he was like, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, I guess he wants to get another fight again, and you think he wouldn't want to do that after what happened last year, referring to got clocked the in. time when he took out Rogan Adur, uh, the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, it was a dirty-looking slide, um, and he and Odur got in a fight, and then Odur threw what I would say would be the best punch in a sporting event outside of hockey and boxing I've ever seen. Just cold-cocked the hell out of uh, Jose Bautista. Um, it's a hell of a video if you haven't seen it. Just look it up. Um, I watched that one a couple times today myself. Yeah. He got clocked. Right. But um, I liked the – I did appreciate the emotion um, from that whole Bautista thing with Jace chirping at him, running around mm-hmm. first base, and then Kurt Suzuki pulling a mini Brian McCann at the plate. Right. Confronting him. I, yeah. I like to see that. I feel like that's – we haven't seen that type of emotion out of uh, baseball in about three or four years. and. Yeah, so that was good to see that we're not going to take anything lying down. Um, And I'm not really, you know, personally, when people flip their bats and whatnot, I'm not, it doesn't really bother me that much normally, especially if it's like a high intensity game or it's a walk off. I get it. Um, But, you know, if you're down by that much and you're doing that, it just shows you're a selfish, narcissistic asshole. Or up by that much. Or, yeah, either way. Yeah. It shows you got zero class and you're only in it for yourself. Um, right. So I think building up to tonight's game, given all the stuff that's happened with Freddie and the benches clearing and all this other other shit that's been happening, that uh, we could certainly be in for some fireworks for tonight's game uh, against the Blue Jays and Braves. Yeah. And we can't officially report that Bautista did get hit by Tehran on his first at-bat, which I think is really stupid because hitting him on his – it's not like hitting him in the leg is going to hurt him or anything. I think that's it was – yeah, well, if you're trying to make we're, – we're now down 3 nothing because of that. I mean, yeah. we're still trying to win a ball game, win a series. The best way to get revenge would be to sweep them, not give them a free pass. Very true to take the high road. Yeah. Um, I mean, do it later in the game if once you like kind of know the outcome. But yeah. to let them have a huge first inning when they've had no momentum all series is just really stupid. Yeah. I don't know if that's Julio's call or if someone else told him to do that. Julio's what? always had a – not always, but he's had a tendency to – to hit guys on his own free will if he feels like he needs to. He did that to Harper uh, about three or four years ago, I remember, in Washington. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It is a stupid move, especially in the first inning. And, um, you know, it puts a guy on base. And Blue Jays, you know, lineup isn't what it used to be, especially when they don't have Donaldson right now. But it's certainly formidable. And now you're giving them a leg up. So I, yeah. I agree with I you. Mean, That's a good point. And with losing Freddie, I mean, I think our offense will be decent, but – 
obviously not what it was, and we have to rely on the pitching a lot more now, which obviously is in our strong suit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, getting back to Freddie, that's a good segue. I mean, you know, I don't – you know, in our preseason predictions, Adam and I thought we could push for the uh, – Wild card. For the wild card, second place wild card. I don't think that was going to happen as we started watching the team. You know, very streaky team, had ups and downs all over the place, whether ups it was. Ups and downs, strikes and gutters. Yeah, whether it was offensively or uh, or pitching, mostly on the pitching side because the offense has been pretty solid. But, um, you know, I think a month and a half into the season, I think we both realized that it's probably not a playoff team. Now. Still have a little hope. Still have a little. You know, yeah, you could say that, but I, I don't think we – it's not something that you're realistically hoping for. You're going to have hope, but it's not something that's like, yeah, this is definitely I – can, I can step up to somebody and say, yeah, this is this is going to be oh, a playoff team. No. Yeah. Um, but now with Freddie out for eight to ten weeks, and honestly, I, I would be okay if he stayed out longer just to make sure he doesn't aggravate anything. Um, the uh, The outlook is grim, very grim for this team. And a little, uh, the bright side, we do get to see some Rio, Rio Ruiz up here. Um, he's one of our big prospects, came over uh, from Houston, correct? I believe so. Yeah, he came over in the Evan Gaddis and Fulton Awish trade, uh, one of our few, one of three or four big offensive prospects that we have in the organization right now so we get to see him uh splitting some time at third base with adonis being out yeah um but obviously i mean freddie it's irreplaceable yeah and if you just look at his numbers this year and what he was doing he was leading leading the national league in home runs with 14 you know 341 batting average 461 on base a 748 slugging which is just inhuman at a 1.209 on base plus slugging percentage which is also inhuman i mean he was you know, you make the argument that you can't win the MVP unless you're on a playoff team. He was on track yeah. to challenge for the MVP with, yeah. with Bryce Harper. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I mean, he was having the season of his life. I, you know, it was. This is something I've been wanting for so long for this team. You know, over the last about seven years or so, which we haven't had, and it's hard to have this. But you know, when you watch a team like the Tigers when they were really in their prime, when they had Scherzer and and Verlander at the top at their in their prime, and they had Miggy, and you know, you watch Miggy bat Miguel Cabrera, and it was just like that is a fucking stud. I would kill to have a guy like that where you know at any point in the game he can go yard and he can take on any pitcher in the league. We had that in Freddie this year. Yeah. He had evolved from being a very good player to an absolutely top five hitter in Superstar. all of baseball. Yeah, top five hitter in all of baseball. And it's just very – I'm very sad for him because he was having the season of his life. Sad for him. Sad for the Braves. Sad for the city of Atlanta. Sad for us. Yeah. We would have had some – maybe some more stuff to talk about. But Absolutely. Now <laughs> we're just really going to have to drag this thing along uh, with Chase Peterson playing first base. Yeah, or maybe be- James Loney. Yeah. So James Loney was signed. Uh, you guys might remember him from uh, former Dodger, I think about a couple years ago. Um, he was a big prospect back in the day. Yeah, he uh, he was never really like a truly great hitter, but he had his moments. He played. He's been playing for about ten years. He was um, I think which minor league system he was in. He was hitting like two twenty in the Detroit. system, Detroit, and he just got cut. Yeah, and so we were able to pick him up. So that's not the most encouraging thing. No, I mean, anytime it's mid May and a first baseman's unsigned, there's probably a reason. Yeah, or anybody. Yeah. Right? 
Um, so he hasn't, I don't think he's here yet. So basically our, our situation right now is Jace Peterson's playing first. Jonas Garcia also went on the des- uh, disabled list uh, since last time we spoke to you guys. So that means with Freddie out and Garcia out, that now Peterson's at first and Rio Ruiz has, uh, is going to take over at third base, it looks like. How much does uh, the Sean Rodriguez injury from the offseason. I mean, he I mean he would have he could have slid into first base and oh yeah, we would have just been that much deeper. The, and, the best and he's thing a about good player, Yeah, the right? best thing about Rodriguez was uh for those who don't know or don't remember or just need a refresher, uh we signed Sean Rodriguez from the uh who's a player on the Pirates. Uh is a great utility guy who can play multiple positions and has a little pop in his bat. All-around good gritty player. Yep. Was in a devastating car accident with his family in the offseason. Everybody was okay, but he uh was hurt so badly in that accident that he was out for the season. So, you know, what was really going to be a strong point on our bench is now gone. And yeah. you're exactly right. This would be the perfect time for him to step in and, and, and obviously, into an everyday role. Yeah, obviously he wouldn't be a Freddie, but he'd feel it a lot more admirable, admirably than a James Loney will or whoever the hell we put over there. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, Loney's still, he's going to be on the Ryan Howard treatment. He's going to the minors and he has to prove that he can hit before he's coming up here. So he's going to Gwinnett, not Atlanta. Oh, so. is that is that the case? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see about that. So for now, it's just going to be Jace at first and um, and uh, Rio at third. And Rio's had a pretty good season in AAA, um, and he's been talked about for a while. I know a lot of guys that uh, I read an article, Talking Chop, uh, really good website for those that don't know it. Really great uh, uh, site, SB Nation. SB Nation's Braves coverage. You're welcome, Talking Chop. You're welcome, you Talking Chop. Give us a shout-out at some point, Yeah, too. maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, they do a good job over there. And um, they had a someone wrote an article for them saying that it would be great if Rio Ruiz could come up and platoon with Adonis Garcia because a lot of people perceive Ruiz to be potentially the future at third base. Yeah. And he's been talked about for the last couple of years. And uh, it's going to, you know – even though it's sad that, that Freddie's out, at least it's not a career-ending injury. At least it's not something that's going to keep him out even for the whole season. Right. And now we get to see, well, what now we get to see what Rio Rio is made of uh, over at third base. So it'll be interesting to uh, to see that now because he's been talked about for so long yeah. on all these various prospect lists, and I haven't watched him play because I don't watch any minor league games. I just keep up with you know what I hear. So I'm I'm happy to put a, a face to the name and whatnot. Proud of you for. Looking at the positives of all this, Junior. I'm trying to. That's generally not your MO. No, but I mean, sometimes you just get so negative that you just got to try and find the positive somewhere else that will drive you crazy. Yeah. And, you know, especially with fucking Atlanta. One door closes and other opens. Indeed. What else we got going with the um, So I would say that Dansby Swanson is doing a lot better. He has been picking it up. Very happy to see that. Yeah, he's been hitting over 300 his last six games, six, seven games. This this whole stretch, the last six games yeah, or so. Had a couple multi-hit games. I think he was working on a eight-game hitting streak until last night, I believe. Yep. Um, he's, seen, he's seen his average rise from about 151 to 188 as of last night. So uh, still not at the Mendoza line, but he's making progress. And I think that shows a lot of resolve on his end because, you know, if you're staring up and you're hitting 140 or whatever you're hitting, right? And you're like, fuck me. I got to, you know, I got to get it at least back to, you know, I got to get to 250 now. And you can look at it as you know, this is huge mountain to climb and I'm never going to get back up there. And 
he's done a much better job. His approach at the play has been better, and, and it shows that he is taking his, his walks have gone up too. Yeah, his walks have gone up. Gone up. He's had um, I think three or four extra base hits during this stretch, and um, it says a lot to me that he's been able to take take it a game at a time, not been not being overwhelmed by the you know situation that you know you're hitting below 200, which is god awful. All his offensive stats are awful. His defensive stats are awful. Um, but you know he's showing some resolve there. Yeah, and and, it, and he's come up big in a couple situations. I think either Monday or Tuesday in Toronto, where uh, Blue Jays had fought back and tied up the game. Dansby comes up and hits just a bomb to center field yeah. to take the lead. So it's good to see him coming up big in uh, big time situations. Once again, too. we're starting to succeed in high le- high leverage situations, which is yeah. great. But you could stare up. You could be Dansby staring up that mountain, and you could let it consume. You could let the avalanche happen, and then you're just you just drown. And uh, I think it's clear that he's not going to let that happen. I'm still a little concerned about his defense. I think he has seven errors now in, uh, what, 38, 39 games? Yeah. Which is just, I mean, he's going to have double, easily going to have double-digit errors. And uh, he could have that by by June at this rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's certainly not good. Um, before we, well, we have a couple things we've got to touch on before we move on from the Braves. Yep. Uh, first of all, I, I would like to say, so yesterday, my second time at SunTrust Park, mm-hmm. I did enjoy it more than the first, like yeah. I said. Were you adjusted? A little bit. Still, yeah. I still felt like I was in like Dallas or right. some alternate some city. other city. Yeah. Uh, but I did go through the battery this time. So during the sixth run outburst, I was actually in the battery watching it, which was kind oh, yeah. of funny. I missed all that. That's funny. Um but, I mean, it's cool that that's an option is to still watch the game so mm-hmm. I wasn't freaking out or anything. Right. Because um, you're right there. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, I ran the base from home plate to first and got time. Oh, nice. Yeah, they still I, have that? Yeah. It's, it's And then you, like, choose different characters, like, who or old players. Yeah. You or, run against them kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So I ran against Dansby and beat him. So. Oh, you beat him? Oh, yeah. Man. Maybe you need to... Try out for shortstop. Yeah, or something. maybe so. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was going to say you could pull out your first base glove in case uh, Jace gets injured. Yeah, some new depth. Yeah, why not for them? I, I can I can pick a ball or two. Yeah, sure you can. Uh, no, it was it was a good experience, and then I, I definitely like it. All comes about back to the battery. Mm-hmm. Like when we were leaving, walking through the gates, and just see people walk straight into a bar. I was like, it's pretty dope. Well, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I, I, I like it. I, I just hope that more places open up soon because, especially on the weekend when we went, uh, was it last week or a couple weeks ago, um, it's very hard to find anywhere where you can actually sit down. Right. Just because there's only like four or five places open right now. And every place we went was loud as hell, too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's packed. It's packed. Yeah. Um, so it'll be good when they start to open up more places so we can you know spread out the population a little bit. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to touch on is Julio Tehran's splits, uh, home and road splits. Um, so away from SunTrust Park, he has an ERA under one. Under one? Yeah, all his stats are pretty damn good. His whip, his ERA, strikeouts to walks, things like that are a lot better away than they are at home. When he's at home, his ERA which, once again, isn't the tell-all stat as a pitcher, but that's the first thing you look at, right? Wins is, right? Wins is the tell-all stat. Yeah, wins is the tell-all stat. <laughs> My favorite fucking stat, wins, yeah. Yep. ERA is a lot better to look at than wins, but even then, that doesn't tell the whole story. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, you look at his ERA at home, it's like 8-7 before, before tonight's game or something like that. So um, well, he does pitch in the souvenir factory. He so. does pitch in the souvenir factory, and I think it's one of those things where um, he's still getting adjusted to it, but certainly is concerned. Even on the road, there have been times when Julio has been effectively wild, and uh, I still have my eye on him, even though he had a great start uh, against the Marlins. And I know he's. I know what he's. One start. Yeah, I know what he's capable. Against a shitty team. Exactly. I know what he's capable of, but I'm still a little concerned because he, you know, he really can't get out of. He's only gotten out of the six inning once this year, um, and once again he's struggling tonight. Down three nothing. Throwing 19 pitches in the first inning. Um, so that was one of the keys in our uh, off season report on him that uh, he he has like six career complete games and. Mm-hmm. Uh, his career, <laughs> and uh, five of those well <laughs> five of those came in one season. Right. Um, so we definitely expect more. So Graham's eye is still on Julio. For still on Julio. Those, for those of those concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 just getting a little concerned, and I think you know one thing I want to ask you is, do you think this would be the right time to test the trade market for Julio? Wouldn't you want a stock to be higher before you trade him? Certainly, but I'm just saying, like before the trade deadline, so before the August deadline, right? Yeah, it's just such a club friendly deal. He's it is, know. but I don't think he's ever going to have a higher trade value. At least, well, if he's pitching like he's shit. pitching like shit, yeah. But I mean, heading into this, like even right, he's still at a he's got a great contract. He has a proven track record. He's still young. He's like 26. Yeah. Um, to see if someone will will overreach, someone can look at those the home road splits, and let's say it's uh, you know, a team that has a pitcher friendly ball, ballpark in uh, Los Angeles, for example, right? And um, who knows, right? I just don't think you can trade him. Like on one hand, he starts pitching really well, and we don't have any pitching ready in the rest of our organization, so we trade him, and then everyone would just revolt against Copy. Well, he could, but I think you better hope that these prospects are getting ready. Because if they're not, then we're in trouble because we built our whole arms, built our whole organization around these these guys. Right. So, um, I would I wouldn't mind dangling dangling him out there and seeing what you could get. I'm not saying make the move, but you got to think by the time we're competitive, he's going to be 28, 29, has a ton of innings logged on his arm at this point. He's been pitching since 2011. But he only pitches five, six innings every start, so it's fine. He throws a lot of pitches, though. <laughs> he throws at least 100 right. pitches a start, it seems like. So. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. And I wouldn't be, like, surprised or – Yeah. I wouldn't be that horribly upset if it happened. I wouldn't be either, especially if we got a good haul. Yeah. Even though I liked Julio quite a bit. You know um, you know who might be upset, though? Who's that? Um, Hugo and Tucker. Hugo and Tucker. <laughs> So before we get to Hugo and Tucker, let's sit, let, let, let's actually no, let's get to Hugo and Tucker because he, he asks a lot of Braves questions. So we're gonna we're gonna shift to some answers, to some questions from our audience here. Um, so if you'd like to reach out to the show as Hugo from Tucker did, you can find us at uh, ATL's own sports at uh, on Twitter, and you can also find us on Facebook at ATL's own sports podcast. Or so, if you know us, you can just text us or call us or ask us in person. Right, because we'll probably see you uh, this weekend. Yeah, so uh, I'll go ahead and read this letter from Hugo. starts with, are you effing kidding me? 
<laughs> you don't want to call this brave season a loss? Question mark, question mark, question mark. It was a loss from the day your preseason analysis told the world that there was zero question. What does that mean? I don't think. Is that a sentence, Franklin? <laughs> it was a loss from the day your preseason analysis told the world that there was zero Yeah, it is. It's an incomplete sentence, Hugo. Come on, Hugo. I thought you were well-educated. Oh, my goodness. Our listeners. The real question, is 2018 a lost cause? You can't build pitching overnight. So that's true. You can't build pitching overnight. Hugo. And we haven't. We've been building pitching for the last. We've been doing it for three years. Yeah, exactly. So I think Hugo's a little off base here. <laughs> maybe in the, maybe not in the sense that our predictions weren't the best in the world, but I think he's very off in the sense that uh, one, he doesn't know how to write a complete sentence, <laughs> and two, um, you can't say 2018 is a lost cause because we have been building pitching and we have guys that are getting ready. You see, I don't, I don't know Hugo from Tucker personally, but I'm guessing Hugo from Tucker hasn't watched a Braves game since maybe 2004. Wow, if that. So why would you say that he hasn't watched a game since then? I'm just guessing based off that question. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he, yeah, he might live out in like Brunswick or something. Lives probably. back in the 90s and yeah. just he probably came from Brunswick. He says he lives in Tucker. Maybe he follows a box score every now and then. Right. But picks up the paper twice a week. Sees that the Braves are 30 games under 500 and wonders why we suck so much now. Yeah. Where's Chipper Joe? Where's Chipper? Where's Maddox? Where's Glavin? Where's Andrew? Where's Andrew? Where's Ferky? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Hugo. Yeah, appreciate the question. Yeah, though. appreciate the question. Thank you for listening, Hugo. But we, we, we fundamentally disagree, especially with the second half of your... Uh, your well, your part, part two kind of validates my prediction about this guy hasn't watched Braves in 10 years. Uh, what do you say? Should the dipshit trying to be John <laughs> Sherholtz show some compassion and trade Freddie? So I'm assuming he's talking about Coppolella. Yep. Um, wow. It's venomous, Hugo. Show some compassion. Well, you don't trade the... I wouldn't be surprised. I mean... No. That's that's absolutely off limits. Even Coppolella himself has said I'd trade... I'd cut off my right arm before I trade Freddie Freeman. And I would... You better kill me if you're going to trade Freddie Freeman because I will revolt against this entire you're, organization. You're, if, if they trade, trade Freddie, you're Yes. Done. This is a guy in his prime who can lead us to a championship if he has the right pieces But I think him. Hugo's point is those pieces aren't coming into place. So what's the point of having this guy in his prime? I just Well, what are you going to do? You're going to trade him and then suffer for like 10 more years of shitty baseball? Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. And build up more 18-year-old prospects that are going to take another four or five years to get up here or three years or whatever? You're absolutely wrong, Hugo. Freddie is in his prime. <laughs> he is one of the best players in baseball. 1.267 OPS. What, what, what the hell do you want? You, The compassion that you seek is wrong because we've got to stay the course and we've got to build around Freddie, and that's what we're doing. And hopefully in the next couple years, we will be contending. And if we trade Freddie, we, will ne- we won't contend for the next 10 years. So you're you're a fool. You're a fool, Hugo. Hugo's got another question. Take your ass back to Tucker. Hugo's got another question. Another one. I'm not sure if this one was um, direct meant to be directed at our podcast, or maybe follows another podcast. Probably was drunk and looked, looked up another sports podcast. <laughs> this one was set at 3:51 p.m. So day drinker. Yeah. <laughs> Is Ryan Getzlaff the best passer in the NHL? <laughs> I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Uh, no comment on that one. That's yeah. pretty funny, though. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that... I mean, we don't know. Maybe Hugo's a little. So. That was that was kind of witty. That was funny. Maybe Hugo has uh, more intelligence than we give him credit. For. Yeah, no. Hugo's stock is rising based off that. Question. Yeah, that was funny. Also, it reminded me that I'll hang up and listen. Of course, that was based on um, the skip when Skip Carey was around uh, doing the uh, the, the rain delay show or pregame yeah. shows, and all the time people would call and ask him um, really stupid and questions. Well, the, the one he would get like at least once a week was. Can you explain the infield fly rule? Yeah, at least once yeah, a week, and he would get pissed and off about that. Flip, yeah. every time. Yeah. Um, so Hugo, good work. Appreciate those letters. I give him a C minus. Yeah. Well, it, 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 his first question was garbage. Second question had a little bit of merit. No. It got a discussion. Going. It got a discussion going. We, we yeah. filled some air time. Indeed. Um, so thanks, Hugo, and. As you mentioned, if you want to send us a question, I already gave you the social media, and we'll probably see you this weekend. Ooh, we have another letter from a listener. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one's from, we'll just call him Arthur in Atlanta. Arthur, okay. Watching the game tonight, question mark? Yes, we are, Arthur. Yes, we are, Arthur. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, okay, so moving on from the Braves, uh, we're going to go straight into our Falcons news, which really isn't that much. Um, not a whole heck of a lot going on. I will touch base on, uh, real quick on Dan Quinn. His uh, new mantra this season is to embrace the suck. Something, uh, that, uh, folks in the military might be familiar with. I know that's, that's a common saying there, which, um, and, and some might misinterpret this initially as saying embrace the suck of, you know, losing the Super Bowl. But Quinn actually means to embrace the suck of the daily grind, of, uh, you know, going through OTAs, training camp, all that stuff, the season itself, you know, even said like, you know, you're going to eat a crap sandwich and you got to smile about it. This is going to be tough. It's, it's not going to be the most fun thing in the world. You got to get through though to achieve your goal. And, um, so that's fine with me. I'm sure there's definitely the Super Bowl thing is a part of that. I think that's an underlying element there, but it doesn't tell the whole story. I think by saying that, you know, you got to just face the day and do what you got to do to and, and take on the tough times as well as the good times and embrace the process of being in the NFL is fucking incredibly hard work. Yeah. Full-time dedication. Um, I think that's what it, I think it speaks to both, but I think it's also just trying to keep the guys head, you know, trying to keep their head steady. Cause you know, if you get caught up in that super bullshit and that's all you're thinking about, well, your, your performance is going to suffer. I mean, it really does quite literally suck that you have to go from the high of like everything that went, that happened last season to get to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and then just start over again. Yeah. Not knowing if you can get back there, but just working to get back to where you were. And right. Just hoping that the result is different. Certainly. So that sucks. It does. It does. But I think, you know, this team, from what I can tell, has enough character on it that they can rise above it. And I know I'm speaking from a homer's perspective, but, you know, we should have every expectation that we can get back and that we can fucking win this thing. I don't see why not. Our defense is better. Our offense is, uh, you know, still a top tier, top three offense in the NFL. Um, we still have Matt Ryan. Still have Matt Ryan. You know, as long as we stay healthy. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. I'll do it Especially for you. after Freddie. Yeah, exactly. As long as we stay healthy, um, there's no reason to think that we can't do that. We, we, we can't get back. Other teams are going to get better. The, the South's going to get better. Dallas will probably be better. Packers will probably be better. But 
we, we're going to be damn better too. So, aren't, you, aren't you scared of Adrian Peterson and New Orleans? Oh, New Orleans. I don't think we've talked about that at all. I'm not. I, I view that more as like that's going to be their Stephen Jackson. Um, Ooh, that's a that would have been a good segue into our final. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> too bad. Anyways, um, but yeah, I, I really do think that. I mean, AP really struggled to stay healthy last year. It's clear that he's not his former self. At the same time. You can't totally underestimate him because of his body of work, and he has come back from devastating injuries before and kicked ass the next season. And in a thriving offensive system like New Orleans, you say what you want about their defense, their offense is still very impressive. Um, you got to respect him, but I, I, I'm not afraid of him, no. put it that way. So, you got anything else to add there? Yeah, I just wanted you to say that he's old and we're not scared of him. No, okay. Well, I did that. So, as Smoke's dad would say, I ain't never been scared. There you go. Um, so there's that. Uh, Dan Quinn's mantra. Mantra. Uh, so moving on, uh, Devonta Freeman came out this week. He was talking to ESPN's Josina Anderson um, and saying, pretty much, I want to be paid as an elite running back. And um, I think his exact words were, he wants to get paid elite. I, I saw the headline to that, and yeah. like it sound like my initial thought was, why the hell is he still talking about this? Yeah. But then the more I read into it, like it, it'd be like me saying, I want to be paid like an elite podcaster, except he has the credentials and I don't. Exactly. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. The the guy has earned it, but he also went on to say that he understands he signed a four year contract. And he's going to play it out. I respect so, him for not holding out. Yeah, he's he's, he's not going to hold out. He's no. he's going to play this year. Um, probably end up making more money if he has another Pro great season. Year. Yeah, so if he gets thousand rushing yards again, and um, you know he's had a hell of a career here. Uh, his last couple of years, especially, have, have been exquisite. And um, I really want to pay him his money and keep him here for the next four or five years because you know. We haven't had a really great running back since Turner, um, but we got Turner sort Ted of. Ted Turner? Uh, Ted, yeah, Ted Turner. No, Michael Turner, sorry. Um, you know, we had him for a good four or five years, but he was kind of, you know, especially near the end, the last couple of seasons, he definitely wasn't what he used to be because he took so much punishment. And he was slow. And he was, yeah, he really slowed down because he was a bigger guy and uh, definitely lost some speed. But Monta's a young guy and. <laughs> You know, to have a guy like that who consist, can probably consistently, if he stays healthy, and, you know, the great thing is, you know, we'll still have Coleman for an extended period of time, too. That was the most lethal combination of running backs in the NFL last season. Yeah, no, they, uh, it's definitely been a very lethal tandem and one you'd like to capitalize on. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's no doubt that the man's currently underpaid. He, out of the running backs, he is making the 28th most money in the league, and it's safe to assume that. He's better than a lot of those guys ahead of him. Right. I um, think, you know, with getting Coleman his touches, you, you're able to spell him effectively and keep him fresh. And I don't think there's any reason not to say, let's give this guy $8.5 million for the next four years, five years, whatever it is. At the same time, if he wants elite money, and let's say someone like a Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, right, is many would consider the best back in the league, all-purpose back, um, gets paid more than that eventually. Yeah. Right? And... I can't remember if his contract's up this year or next year. Or let's just say some... or Le'Veon um, Bell? Yeah. Let's just say the bar is set by someone else. 
and it's like 12 million. Pretty much do you pay them or do you not pay them? Because, you know, we, we look at a team like uh, our, our favorite team in the NFL, right? The, uh, the New England Patriots. We just love so much for destroying our dreams and souls. Big Tom Brady guy myself. Oh, yeah. Ugh, makes me want to vomit. Anyways, you know, you know, they have consistently proven that they have resisted the temptation to overpay. They don't pay for running backs. They don't pay for running backs. They let LeGarrette Blunt walk, and he had, like, what, 16, 17 touchdowns last year. Not that yeah. he's an elite back, but, you know, he's a great short yardage They're going to plug somebody in, and they'll be fine. Yeah, and so that's the thing. It's just like, you know, do you trust your system that, you know, like, uh, and say that the next guy up is Coleman, and then his, his spell back is, is Hill? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I kind of do, to be honest with Yeah, you. or do you pay Devonta? I'm, I'm against... Think? Paying like I mean, if he wants just like historically big contracts, mm-hmm. no. And you're saying if not, you're yeah. a great player. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all depends on what we do this year too. Like if we win a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. let the guy walk. Oh, you think so? I got what I need for my life. So well, you do, but think about the future, right? You want to win more. Yeah, but you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of guys that you got to spend money on coming off a Super Bowl. Probably can't believe we're talking about winning a Super Bowl. What the hell's the matter with me? Um, <laughs> it's possible, but I mean, realistically, where do you want to spend your money on defense mm-hmm. or on a position that nowadays you don't have elite backs past twenty eight, twenty nine years old, right? And you get rookies coming out every year ready to play now, right? So, and you have a guy waiting in the wings in Coleman who I think you can both agree could be a, an elite number one. Yeah, is certainly capable. And Still has a couple years left on his uh, rookie deal. Two or three years left. So. Yeah. So, don't go crazy spending money on him. But yeah, what's what's your limit? I mean, I wouldn't want him to be the number one paid running back in the NFL, but I think he deserves top five money. Mm-hmm. So whatever that is. So you say eight and a half. You do that. Sure. As long as we can get out of a deal after about three or four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see him get paid, and I'm. Honestly, I'm okay with doing it. You get a young back under control going through probably the rest of his career to his age 30, 30 you know, age 30 season probably. And then you can you can cut ties at that point because you probably won't have anything left just because, unfortunately, that's the nature of, of the beast, the nature of the position. So I'm okay with it as long as it's affordable. But don't – I agree. Don't break the bank. And I don't want this to be a story anymore. I don't know why it keeps – Getting out it there. keeps coming up, and I wish he would stop talking about it. Although I think he answered. Josina Anderson probably asked him about it. Yeah, of course. What else was in that interview, though? Was that just the one question? That's the only. There thing was I probably more it. stuff, but I—that's the only thing we heard right. because it's a headline-driven society. So indeed, and everybody's reacted to the headlines. But I think he did a good job of explaining that you know he's he's taking a mature approach. Where he says, "I want what I'm worth. I know what I'm worth. Yeah, but I'm going to play out my contract because I'm not going to be a punk bitch and say, oh, you should.'" Go ahead and pay me. It's like, no. It's like you sign a contract, fulfill your contract. So I, I respect Devontae for, for doing that. As do I. I was happy yeah. to see that. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up our Falcons report. I know rookie OTAs were, were going on. There's not really too much to uh, to gather from that yet. Um, that's really worth squawking about for another couple minutes. So I think we're going to move on to um, – we haven't done this in a while. You know, one of our top five lists – uh, so we're going to move on to our top five worst free agent signings. Since we like to stay negative around here. Yeah. Top five worst free agent signings in our lifetime uh, in Atlanta sports history. All right. So we're going to kick off our list with number five. And 
for all you folks that wanted to hear about the Hawks, here's something about the Hawks' past. So at number five, I've got Speedy Claxton of the Atlanta Hawks. So we were coming off. We signed him in 2006, and the Hawks hadn't had a point guard, uh, I think, since Nam. So people were pretty excited about, I mean, maybe Jason Terry. Yeah, more reasonable. Uh, this was after, of course, we didn't draft Chris Paul. Ugh. <laughs> so yeah. Speedy Clax was the answer. He was in New Orleans the year before, 12 points a game, uh, about five assists per game. So a serviceable point guard. And then we signed him to a four-year, $25 million deal. And he's essentially hurt for all four of those years. Which is pretty big at the time, too. You gotta keep that in mind. Like Ken yeah. Bazemore is making seventy million dollars now. So not that that's a huge deal in today's NBA, that's but a it's, lot of inflation in ten years. Yeah. So yeah, he only plays in forty four games in two years. And uh only played in like what, one or two games the last yeah, year of his contract. Yeah. Um yeah, he was an absolute disappointment. Um only averaged, you know, 25 minutes per game in that 06-07 season. Didn't shoot well from the four or from the line. Uh, it's pretty much a liability from everything I can remember about him. And, um, yeah, just pretty much an absolute bust. So I think he got that name solely based off – got that name. <laughs> I think he got that contract solely based off his name. Of being speedy. Yeah. And we thought he was going to be a speedy motherfucker zipping yeah. around the court making this plays is, happen. This is the Billy Knight era. Yeah, and, and the thing that really, you know, when I looked up, looked him up, uh, you know, a couple days ago in preparation for this uh, great segment, uh, he's never really blown you away with his numbers or, or his play that much. He's a backup point guard. Yeah. That and, we gave and starting we, point and, guard money. And, and he didn't even start. Am I correct in that? No, he was our starting point guard. He was guard. our starting point guard. Yeah. No, we brought him in to be our starting point guard. Because that's what Atlanta has to do. They have to overplay. Oh, Jesus, Adam. <laughs> that's what Atlanta has to do. They have to overpay free agents to get them to come here. And well, he's never even played a full season in his whole career. And he certainly sure as hell, he only played half a season his first uh, year with us and we played two fucking games the next year. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a baffling move. Billy Knight, as we know, was a uh, a, a terrible general manager, and uh, instead of drafting Chris Paul like the rational, normal man would do, any Joe on the street would say, "I would draft Chris Paul over anybody in that draft if I had the opportunity to." And instead, he drafts Marvin Williams, and then proceeds to sign Speedy Claxton. And twenty twenty hindsight, though twenty twenty hindsight, but man, that didn't work out. Yeah. So, number yeah. five, Speedy Claxton. Yep, Speedy Claxton. But that name doesn't come up too often. Nope. So, moving on to number four, uh, an Atlanta Braves player during the Frank Wren era, which will also be a recurring theme, unfortunately. Um, signed in the 2009, uh, or the 2008 offseason going into 2009, was Kenshin Kawakami out of Japan. First ever Japanese player the Braves signed. Yep. Uh, hopes were high, uh, I remember, for Kenshin. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be you know, the answer in terms of maybe not being an absolutely elite pitcher, but definitely someone who would be a more number, than serviceable. Number three starter. Yeah, number, yeah, mid-rotation, number three starter. Eat up some innings. Yeah. Didn't have the worst ever year in 2009. 
Um, but good Lord Almighty, did his 2010 just absolutely suck. And Bobby Cox's last season, his ERA balloons from 3.86 to 5.15. His whip is up. He's uh, negative wins above replacement. Um, only pitched in uh, 16 games and gave up 10 homers during that stretch. Was paid a shit ton of money. $60 million. Yeah, $60 million. And uh, he was out of the rotation, I believe, by uh, it's around like June or something like that, if memory serves. For, for you math majors, we paid him eight, wait, what did I just say, $60 million? Mm-hmm. And he had a total of eight career wins. So that comes out to around $3 million per win. Which, once again, means nothing as a pitcher. But he did have... <sighs> I'm just saying. It's an interesting stat that our users are users. users. We're not a fucking software company. <laughs> that our listeners are actually going to care about. Okay. And you just shit on it. I did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he never had great peripherals. But that 2010 season was just an abomination. He was – I think he was demoted. And then he just never came back and faded into obscurity. I do remember seeing him in Gwinnett for a while, just pitching down there. And it's like, that's kind of depressing. Yeah, luckily, we were still able to get to the playoffs in Bobby Cox's last year, but he certainly did not help that cause. So that's a uh, $60 million failure. Kenshin Kawakami. Thanks, Frank Wren. Number four on our list. So moving on to number three as a uh, Falcons free agent, um, Steven Jackson who many of you probably remember from his glory days in St. Louis. We signed him after the 2012-2013 season when we were just 10 yards away from the Super Bowl, as Mike Smith would say, um, thinking that that was going to be the key ingredient to getting us over the top, saying we're going to replace – the extra sass. Yeah, we're going to replace old-ass Michael Turner, and we're going to bring in this – Old-ass – Old ass, but consistently eclipsing a thousand yards. He had um, eight straight seasons from 2005 to 12 of getting over a thousand yards, averaging at least four yards per rush. Uh, he comes in here. We're pretty hyped about it because we're like, okay, we're bringing back Tony Gonzalez, we're brought in Steven Jackson, we got Julio, we got Roddy, we got Matt Ryan. We're gonna have fucking elite offense, and um, it didn't turn out very well for Steven. Um, Steven. Steven, as Mike Smith would say. Um, and, I, you know, one of those things that, that really – I actually covered the Falcons for a uh, relatively unknown sports blog that, that year. <laughs> that, um, that seems to be your MO, uh, unknown, unknown sporting sports guy. media, yeah, what have you. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I paid even more – I always pay a lot of attention to our teams, but I paid even more attention because I was, you know, supposedly employed by this place. You know, I didn't get paid jack shit. Because we didn't get any readers, but anyways, um, <laughs> um, but I think it was a combination of things. Stephen, as we know, did not do particularly well with us. Um, only rushed for 543 total yards in his uh, first season with us. Three and a half yards per carry uh, wasn't really a factor in the passing game. Um, second year did a little better, 707 total yards rushing. Once again, average under four yards per per rush. I think we can equate this. Largely, too, it was a guy who was slightly, you know, over the hill, combined with a really shitty offensive line. Because we lost Todd McClure, because Thomas Mitraff was a cheap ass. Um, we didn't really have a very consistent or good offensive line. Matt Ryan was absolutely pulverized. And there were a couple games that Steven didn't do terrible. But overall, 
Yeah, he was quite disappointing because the hype was there built up probably internally by ourselves and by the media that this was our missing link and we were going to get consistent production from the running back position, which we hadn't had for a couple of years. And uh, it just didn't pan out. But I don't totally blame Steven Jackson for this, but because he was really hyped as a uh, free agent signing, we got to put him on this list because he was supposedly an elite player at that point. I just have memories of the Georgia Dome crowd getting so amped every time he would touch the ball. Yeah. Ah! And then he would just, like, run directly in the back of the line and yeah. get his yard and a half or two. Right, and I it felt like, a, you know, a lot to me, like he didn't even um, – you know, get back to the line of scrimmage. He was tackled so many times behind the line, lost yardage on multiple attempts each game. Um, it wasn't good. Uh, he, after the 2014 season, he was he was cut, and uh, he went to New England and didn't do that well either. Um, I think they picked him up in the middle of the season, the 2015 season. But I will always remember Steven Jackson on Hard Knocks, when we were on Hard Knocks, when he gave this rousing speech to, uh, rousing, I use with quotations, uh, to the running backs, yeah, the running backs on the team, uh-huh. and he was pretty much he he made absolutely no sense. I don't remember <laughs> exactly what he said, but he's pretty much just like, "We're here, we're brothers. I want to be there for you, but you gotta you gotta be there too." He was he just wasn't making a lot of sense with his speech. I would just I just remember the guys who were looking at him were like, "I guess we gotta respect this guy because you know, he's Stephen fucking Jackson." You know, I grew up watching this dude, but. He's literally what God's name are you talking about? Yeah, he's literally there. making the zero sense right now. Um, <laughs> it was one of those speeches where his heart was in the right place, but it got a little long-winded, and it just sort of didn't go anywhere. But yeah, he was overall a, a, a bust. <laughs> but I don't, I don't put the onus entirely on him, because that offensive line was fucking awful. But a bust. A bust, nonetheless. So clocking at number three is Steven Jackson. So moving on to number two is Ray Edwards. Another product of Thomas Dimit- the Thomas Dimitrov and Mike Smith era. Um, once a feared defensive end who entered into the league. Was he that feared? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, he was respected, especially the last couple of years he was in Minnesota. I remember there was a lot of hype around him. It was like, okay, he's about to take off. He you know, was starting to average around eight sacks a game. And um, it was after the 2010 season, which was when um, – we got to we had home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the 2010-2011 season. That was um, when we the faced Packers. The, yes, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Oh lord! Yeah, Aaron Rodgers just came in and absolutely destroyed us. We lost in the first round. So we needed a bookend for John Abraham. Yes, we wanted to get Abe help on the defensive line. It was a combination of get Abe help on the defensive line and get a deep, you know, open up a passing game and draft a Julio Jones. Um, Ray Edwards came in and didn't do too much for us. Only had three and a half sacks in two years, and those three and a half sacks came in his first year with us in 2011. He was—I remember him not being very well liked by the team. He didn't fit in with the locker room. He was very uh, introverted, somewhat confrontational, from what I remember, hmm. and just didn't gel with the team chemistry at all. And he was out of here pretty fast um, got, after he came in because then he got hurt his second year. And- I don't think he got hurt. I think he was actually he cut. Sucked. He didn't get a single sack. Um, didn't really do much on the uh, even getting tackles for losses or anything like that. And he was, and by that point, I think he had just soured his welcome within the, the locker room. And uh, I believe he was cut in uh, midseason. And we also paid him a bitch load of money. Yeah, we paid him a lot of money. 
I have nothing to add on Ray Edwards. Yeah. Ray Edwards was definitely he sucked. Yeah, he was a bust, and he was a malcontent, and uh, got himself pretty much thrown out of the city because of that. As, as well as he just didn't produce, but he was also just wasn't a team guy. So it's only taken us seven years, but our defensive line is finally finally coming together. Yep. So moving on to our number one free agent bust of all time in the history of Atlanta sports is none other than Melvin, the artist formerly known as B.J. Upton. A.K.A. Bossman Jr. A.K.A. Bossman Jr. Um, he was At the time, he signed the biggest free agent deal in the history of the Braves. It was like five years, $75 million, I think. Yeah. Which by some other standards for larger market teams isn't that huge of a deal, but for us it was. I remember, I remember to give you credit, at the time... When that signing happened, you were like, this is terrible. Yep. And you were talking about all his bullshit stats. Yep. And really all I could remember was like the 2006 or seven playoffs with him in Tampa Bay where he was just an absolute stud. I think it was 2008 when they won the World Series. Yeah. He was a, he was a monster. Yeah. So I was like, no, nah, bring this guy on. He's well, he's a stud. The thing that concerned me about him was his strikeout rate kept going up. His walk walk rate went down, which tells me that he has shitty plate discipline. If you look at from 2008 and on, his strikeout rate went up by, you know, from 2008 to 2009, went up 18, went up 12. It just kept ballooning, and his walk rate kept going down. That automatically tells me your on-base percentage is going to go down, and it did. And then, I mean, he didn't even have a 300 on-base percentage in his last year in Tampa Bay. He started. He had one like good month and a half that kind of made his free agent value pretty high. And Frank, yeah, Ren, I mean, he hit twenty eight home runs. So yeah, and we needed power. So Frank Wren just jumped on him. He should have learned his lesson from the Dan Ugla trade, but he didn't. Yeah, and um, you know, everyone got really hyped up because we had up, up and hey, up, up and a hey, Justin Upton, BJ Upton, and Jason Hayward. But I was really concerned about. This because one, he seemed like he was a malcontent on Tampa Bay. So I always get concerned about guys who aren't good chemistry guys because that can affect the way the locker room is. And I was concerned about his, you know, his, his strikeout and uh, his walk rate going in the wrong directions. But I never conceived that he would have such a shitty career with the Braves <laughs> that he had. And it was unbelievable. 2013 hits 184, 268 on base, and a 289 slugging percentage. <laughs> worth negative 1.8 wins. That is just absolute shit. And we had nine homers. That's absurd. Yeah, and he just, he was 26 awful. RBIs. Yeah, and he had to be benched. He had to be benched. And I think they put like Rico Bronia in his place. Shit. That's not true, but it feels like it is. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, he had a really good spring training that year. I remember everybody was getting hyped. He had like 340, and I was like, it's fucking spring training. And then... You know, and then he had a pretty shitty year the next season. Pretty, um, yeah. It was it was a little better. He had over two hundred finally, but still didn't play great defense. Still seemed like he was a malcontent. Only hit two hundred eight, uh, twelve homers. Uh, had another shitty sub. Basically, if you have a sub three hundred on base percentage, that's like having a sub two hundred batting average. So he had a two eighty seven on base percentage. Shitty slugging percentage. He was god-awful. 620 OPS. Once again, in the negative with wins above replacement. He was a, he was just fucking awful. This was literally 
and it was incredible too that we even won the division in 2013 when you had BJ Upton and Dan Ugla hitting. Did he even make the postseason roster? I think he he did not. I don't think. No, Ugla didn't. BJ, no, Ugla didn't. BJ, BJ like did. pitch ran. I yeah, remember he yeah, pitch yeah. ran in that wild Ugla card didn't, game. But, but BJ did. That's yeah. right. But it's like it's amazing that we won the division with two underperforming players like that. But BJ especially was vilified, and I think with good reason. I didn't boo him, but a lot of fans in Atlanta were very upset because he got so much money. And you could tell, I could tell that I, I think he tried. And you, you read stories, you read David O'Brien's stories where it's like he's spending so much time in the batting cage. He's working, I can't remember the hitting coach's name off the top of my head right now, but he's working his ass off. And then it seemed like, you know, the hitting coach would say, you know, as we try different techniques in the cage that seem to be working, and then he'd go out and, and in the game and he just revert back to these bad tendencies. Yeah. And this is a guy who's very much a uh, small market player. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tampa is like the smallest market out there. Right. That where he got that contract based off of. And then once Coppola pulled off the miracle of the century and was able to trade him Ooh. off to San yeah. Diego, he came back and had a, I mean, not good, but he was a Decent. lot better. Yeah. Hitting in the 260s actually exceeded a 300 on base percentage. I actually. I mean, I would follow him every day and just, like, see if he was doing anything and yeah. just get pissed off when I saw him actually doing something decent. Yeah. But he eventually fell off, and now he's out of the league and will never have a job again. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, he uh, it was a dark time because that signified the end of an era in terms of the Braves, in, in terms of Braves baseball of, of Frank Wren because um, he was a part of that 2014 team that just absolutely collapsed. And uh, he certainly didn't help matters there. And... Uh, that pretty much forced the front office's hand in terms of saying, okay, we're going to get rid of Frank Wren. And then Freddie Gonzalez was fired soon after in the 2015 season after BJ was gone. And um, BJ Upton kind of represents the dark time of the, of the Braves resurgence when in the 2010 season we went back to the playoffs and we were starting to contend again after five years of not contending. Bringing him in kind of killed the dream of ever trying to win a World Series again. Yeah. Um, at least in that with that front office in that regime. So BJ up to number one, fucking horrible for us. And um, yeah, it's tough to beat. Yeah, that is it's impossible to beat. He is the worst free agent signing in the history of this town. I think even beyond our lifetime. It's funny when I was looking up um, some of the other worst free agents. A lot of them were ex Braves, but not signed by us. Mm-hmm. You're like Kevin Millwood, who got a huge deal with Texas, and oh, after he, yeah, my, yeah. Mike Hampton's historic con- yeah contract, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, BJ is definitely the worst we've ever done. Yeah, he was he was awful. So that's your top five. So just to repeat, number five, Speedy Claxton of the Hawks. Number four, Kenshin Kawakami of the Braves. Number three, Stephen Jackson for the Falcons. Number two, Ray Edwards of the Falcons, defensive end. And number one, BJ Upton. So that's our top five. And that's our show for the week. And that's our show for the week. So, um, as I mentioned, in terms of social media, if you haven't already followed us there, on Twitter, we're at ATL's Own Sports. And on Facebook, we're at ATL's Own Sports Podcast. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, we are also on iTunes. So uh, if you haven't subscribed to us, please do that. And leave us some nice feedback. We'd appreciate it. And we're also on SoundCloud, as you guys know. SoundCloud. Just search for Atlanta Zone. So that's it for the week. Uh, for Graham Waldrop, I'm Adam Kalal. How's Patama sip? <laughs>